Welcome to Minute Impossible. Your mission, should you choose to accept it, is the minute-by-minute breakdown of the movie Mission Impossible. I'm Don. I'm Chris. And I'm Jonathan. We're doing this differently. It's weird. (laughs) (laughs) I like it. This minute begins with Jim smoking on a plane. Ew. And ends with Ethan not having it any other way on his assignment. As we start with this minute, uh, we're seeing the credits for the story by, which is uh, David Kep and uh, Steve Zalian, uh, who were two of the biggest writers uh, during the 90s. And they're still fairly big writers. Uh, Steve Zalian had just come off of uh, writing uh, Schindler's List. And David Kep uh, had written uh, Jurassic Park and Jurassic Park The Lost World, which was coming up the next year after this. And then as far as the screenplay is concerned, Kep wrote that as well. But along with it, it was also written by uh, Chinatown screenwriter Robert Town, who was a very good friend of uh, Tom Cruise's at the time. Uh, so it's it's got some prestige behind it on the screenplay. Yeah. And like I said last week, Robert Town was the one who added the Alexander Galitzin reference. He's the one that has all the symbolism that he wants to put in the, the, the script. Yeah. The script languished in script hell for 11 years before they started working on it. Wow. It's yeah, a, long time. a long time. It is. They said it couldn't be done. They said the huh. movie, they, they, there was no story they could come up with. Well, you know, Mission, Mission Impossible proved them wrong. It was not impossible to make. It was. All they had to do was find a very flawed story and do that one. <laughs> there is no such thing to Tom Cruise. Never tell him no. And also, this was an action set piece, and it was great in that it it focused the action more because the story was so light. It was, we need a thing. That thing is stolen. Everybody lied. Now everybody's dead. Go get that thing. Spoilers. Spoilers. (laughs) No, that's... That's that's the spoiler for Lord of the Rings. That's the spoiler for so many things. Yes, they all need a good MacGuffin, and this one has it in its knock list. Yep, all you need is a list, and it's ripped in half. I assume it's just a physical list, right? I'm assuming. I mean, heaven forbid it's on a computer. It's uh, half of a Mad Magazine, the back cover, and they have to flip <laughs> the other cover to it so they can get the secret... It's probably one of those books with like the the secret stuff stashed inside. You open the book and there's like a little safe. That, that's totally how to have it. <laughs> I think I'm just showing. I think I'm just showing our age, Chris, because I don't think Dawn knows what we're talking I about. I know Mad Magazine. Fold the inside. And it made a face or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh well, let me explain first. A magazine is <laughs> like a really thin book. No, no, no. A magazine is like you take your your iPad. And you make uh-huh. it really, really thin, and then you stack a whole bunch of them on top of each yep. other. Fifteen thin iPads equals a magazine. <laughs> Only it's it's like for maybe a, a one you know hundredth of a price. It's not nearly as expensive as an iPad. Here's a fun fact. Do you know what a first class ticket from Chicago to Prague is? No, what? I do. I'm sure you probably do. something like fifteen k. It's actually very reasonable today. It's eight thousand dollars. Yeah. That's not bad. It might have been more expensive than I wouldn't be surprised, actually. Jim Phelps has 37 metric square feet <laughs> of room on that plane. He's, so. he's flying on the on the taxpayer's dime, though, man. Yeah. yeah I mean, or maybe he's got those frequent flyer miles. Yeah, he could have that. That's true. <laughs> he probably does because he probably travels a lot. Mm-hmm. But what's interesting is that, that he's smoking on the damn plane. That's unheard of nowadays. 
Yeah, I looked I looked it up. I can't believe I mean, I grew up in a world where you could smoke in second class or third class in the eighties, but I didn't know that you could smoke on a plane until like ninety seven. That's I'm like, crazy. Whoa. I'm like, we didn't know better by then? I literally was on planes since they, there's a picture of me on a plane when I was two years old. And I've smoking never a cigarette. seen yeah, <laughs> smoking a cigarette. Uh but I've never seen anybody smoking a plane in my life and i've traveled a lot i once went to spain and on our way we were in third class because that's where they put students and there were people smoking in that room and it was disgusting wow eight and a half hours wow not good gross any other credits uh there is one more coming up or two more there's the produced by tom cruise and paula wagner uh, mm-hmm. Like I said uh, in one of the previous minutes, this is Tom Cruise's first job as a producer or first film as a producer. Uh, his partner at the time was Paula Wagner, and uh, she really kind of – the two of them really produced quite a bit of films in the late 90s and early 2000s. And he's still a very active producer, uh, as is she, but uh, it's they're, they're no longer partners in the same uh, vein that they were back then. But, I mean, it's a, it's a great intro for him as a producer, so it was – it was a smart move to pick a franchise film as opposed to some, you know, independent film or something uh, Oscar Beatty, if you will. Yeah, this gave him the street credit that he could actually pull in lots of money. And then from then on, it was easy. Yeah, exactly. Because he made some real duds in the uh, early 2000s that didn't hurt him because he always had this to come back to, even though it took a while to get to the second one and the third one. Yeah. Of Mission Impossible. Exactly. And then, of course, our last credit on the film, uh, after he's uh, blown the tape up or self-destructed and he's using his smoke from the cigarette to cover it, is director Brian De Palma, uh, who's been around quite a while as a film director. He had done a lot of uh, independent sort of or lower budget and uh, high end sort of psychological, psychosexual thrillers and uh, films like Carrie and Scarface. And every once in a while, he'd go back and do a pretty big budget film, sort of like I said, Scarface and The Untouchables. And at this point, I think he was coming off of Raising Cain, maybe. And this was a, a big, a big, big film for him at the time. Something I want to know is, what do you think the mechanics are of creating a tape that will self-destruct in such a way that it just kind of smokes? What do you think the mechanism was that they used for that? Oh, good point. Yeah. What is the mechanism in your tape? When it got to the end, is that where it like ignites something that makes it self-destruct or what is it, you know? Right. And it's a, apparently a very controlled sort of flame because it's yeah. only producing a tiny little bit of smoke. It's not like the entire thing just exploded and there's, you know, some sort of detonation in there. Yeah. I think that the entire piece of tape is treated in some chemical that is fine when you play it. But when it got to the end, there was some other chemical that started a chain reaction that just disintegrates the tape. Better living through chemistry. <laughs> I bet the plastic's still there. I bet you if you open it, there's like, someone's going to be like, oh, gross, there's like this plastic. Yeah, like, did it did it destroy the v- the VHS player in there and now he's got to pay for it in the airline or something? I mean, I mean, probably. The whole thing is smoking. Yeah. <laughs> Mr. Phelps, you broke the... We're, we're going to have to charge you for that. Right. Or does he, because he's in first class, you know, not have to deal with that? They just yeah, build in a little bit of extra, <laughs> you know, damage the plane. That happens feed. all the time, Mr. Phelps. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Some poor janitors in there. Oh, Phelps guy must have been in there again because this VHS tape and the whole damn seat's ruined. We got to get a new one. Yes. The plane janitors. The plane janitors. Exactly. <laughs> but yeah, what if they have a whole like Q, uh, Q branch that just comes up with that sort of stuff? 
Yeah, they do. Yeah. We just haven't met him yet. No, we haven't, I guess. Not for a couple films? Nope. There's a whole section of people who just come up with cool things. I can't wait. (laughs) In two or three years, we'll get there. (laughs) Right now, we're in VHS tapes. (laughs) (laughs) Cutting edge technology. VHS tapes and targeting computers. (laughs) And cigarettes. And cigarettes. So, So now we're in Prague. And we know that because there's big wording that says Prague. As Jim Phelps walks into frame. I love the beginning of this. Uh, this is where Jim Phelps begins to brief the team in the safe house. I love this shot because he's starting to talk and Kristen Scott Thomas is behind him closing the blinds and the window. But if you watch it minute by minute, she doesn't close the window completely until he's already said the entire plan. <laughs> so if someone was listening at the window, they would know everything that happened. Because she pulls the shade first. And I'm like, what? Maybe it's foreshadowing of some sort, you know? I mean, if you were going to pull the shade, wouldn't it make sense to do that before anybody is in the room at all? You start with the empty room, you come up and you, you know, they're terrible spies, is all I'm saying. And and we've already been told they're already there before Phelps even gets there. So we know they're there. So they've had the window open forever. God knows how long. (laughs) Yeah. Kristen, for the love of God, can you close this window? We've been here for three hours already. Exactly. I love the air, the prog air. Or maybe she just hates the sun. Yeah. Too much she sunlight. She didn't want it anymore. She was done. Uh, from from looking at the blocking, I can guarantee you Kristen Scott Thomas is over there because the director said, Ugh, everybody's at this table and I don't like it. Can you just stand up over there behind Jim so that we have two people on one side and four people on the other? Did you notice that every single woman is blonde? Or sorry, every single woman in this shot is a brunette. But you have the two women who are seated next to each other who have the very chiseled, angular faces who also have the dark hair. And then she's the one that doesn't have a face that's quite as angular. And so we stuck her in the corner. But you know what I think it really is? Is I think that's not even Christian Scott Thomas in that shot. That's a double. Do you think it's, <laughs> I think it's a double? Because you never see her turn around. She's She sits there. She stands. And then she doesn't turn around in that shot. And then she's turning around. They She's out of frame. And they cut. To a close-up of her turning around. Fun fact: Paula Poundstone was the was the uh, double body double yeah, for body double Kristen Scott Thomas. Thomas. And yeah, that, that she's wearing a really baggy, amazingly arm-padded suit. Yeah, it's a very wide suit. I love it. It's def it's definitely not her. <laughs> you don't think so? No, because because I mean, when she I'm closes go those, back and watch this. She closes those windows. There's no, I don't see any red curtains next to them, and then. She turns around and then she's right next to red curtains. Oh, I think you're right. I yeah. think that was either that or it was a reshoot. Yeah. And they just didn't like what she said because it could be a reshoot. Because I have a note on the next line that said, um, definitely something happened in that shot. You're right. Yep. Those aren't red curtains. Nope. When she closes them. Nope. They're like blind, like shutters that she's closing. Well, so. maybe there were red curtains next to fall it? from the yeah. ceiling yeah maybe you're right maybe you're right <laughs> it, it, it can't possibly be a body double because she wasn't able to shoot that same time as everybody else but you never see anybody you never see anybody else's faces in that shot either so they could all be doubles in <laughs> didn't not wanting to work with not wanting to work with with jim phelps <laughs> so it's just john voight and f- six strangers just get the doubles in there we'll be fine we'll do the reverse shots without him that's how, I, as a producer, that's how I would save money. No, 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 don't bring me Emilio Estevez and Tom Cruise that day. Let's save uh, $400,000 and just get some doubles in there and just shoot uh, Voight because we got him cheap. <laughs> oh, I, I bet you the uh, set for the uh, plane is just 
through those doors in the back. He's going to say. He walked directly from smoking a cigarette into that scene. He's like, I'm just going to go straight in there. <laughs> okay, Mr. Voigt, whatever you say. I mean, he's played by the the hour, right? So. <laughs> no, they probably had him for like for like the fewest amount of days that they could get him with. And so he had to shoot everything at once. It's like one big rotating set. Move him to this shot. Move him to that shot. Put him in front of the green screen. Jim Phelps is rocking a pretty awesome uh, suit and suspenders. Yes. And as someone who graduated from college in the late 90s, as you know, Chris, (laughs) uh, I definitely wore suspenders in a suit that looked just like that. I did, too. Was this a hip thing in the the part? Yeah, it was. Yes, Dawn. It was very hip. We were on the cutting edge. It was like the last remnants of the American psycho yuppiedom from the 80s. Yeah. Yeah. That was back when suits were... I mean, I still have had some of those suits, and they were so silky. Oh, my oh. God, yes. It was, like, crazy. You wouldn't... I mean, the cut was yeah. insane. Oh, yeah. They were so billowy. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, John Voight is rocking a pretty amazing suit. Yeah. Having my notes that Tony Beretta and the rest of his team, because right now, for me, Emilio Estevez is the leader of this team. Yeah, well, he, he <laughs> was. He's the most... By virtue of his name? I don't know. I like Philippe Duchette as the, the leader of the team. <laughs> I think you're right. Philippe Duchette may be the leader of the team. They're sitting around a large table with diagrams and maps laid out around them. So they've already been there, as we said before. So they've probably already started studying the mission. Yep. But Jim is there to be their father figure, it looks like, and explain exactly what's going to happen. I love that the picture behind them has like big wording and arrows that say embassy, bridge. <laughs> you know, it's just it's like, what? <laughs> you think they would know what the embassy is. It's like those people building, like where they're building the rock sets on the floor with the dirt, and like here you'll go here, and here we'll go there. You know, that's what it looks like. Yeah, you're the rock, you're the can. Yeah, exactly. Con Air reference. Mm. What's that? That's just a rock. At this point, they give us everybody's duties. We heard them from Kittredge earlier, but they say Sarah Davies is undercover. She'll already be there. Jack Harmon is there to hack. Hannah Williams is there for surveillance and the lookout. Claire Phelps is transportation. And Ethan Hunt is point man. Sarah, Jack, and Ethan all have real jobs. And Hannah and Claire have dumb jobs. <laughs> Hannah is lookout. That's actually okay. I can live with that in a, in a situation where we know there's going to be multiple things going on. It's her job to make sure other people don't come in and catch them. Okay, I get that. But Claire is literally the wheel man. She, her job is to get in a car and follow Galitzin. Yeah. That's not a spy job. No, it isn't. Couldn't one of the other people just do that as they're doing their job? I mean, that's actually probably more like what a real spy job is like, frankly. Yeah, but not a Mission Impossible spy job. <laughs> but this is in a movie. This is the best they could come up with. They're like, all right, we got our point man. We got our hacker. We got our undercover lady and our lookout. And- this is when I started to kind of wor- worry that it wasn't going to be a team movie, that it might not, you know... <laughs> Be focused on the team like the TV show was. I was getting kind of worried the first time as I watch it, you know? Along those lines, uh, Reza Baidi, who's the Iranian-American director who directed more episodes of the original Mission Impossible TV series than anybody else, wow. uh, apparently was asked by the head of Paramount to be present on the set of the film um, and kind of serve as a, an on-set consultant. Brian De Palma approached him at one point and said, oh, you know, I really love the original series, but the movie's going to be nothing like that, just so you know. Uh, you being on set might make everybody kind of uncomfortable. And so then apparently <laughs> Reza thanked him for his honesty and left the set. 
<laughs> yeah, nowadays the guy would stay there for like three months and annoy everyone. Yeah. That's yeah. actually pretty impressive for Brian De Palma to go up and go, this isn't the movie you think it's going to be, and we're not changing it, so go. Thanks for coming. I mean, I don't even know if that's impressive. That's just, you know. <laughs> that just sounds like the Palma. <laughs> it is It is a good interaction, though, between two of them to say, hey, yeah. I mean, you know, if somebody asks you to go on set, you probably would, right? Because it's almost like you're right. doing them a favor at this point. Yeah. And it's just conflicting layers of management about how things should go. Here's a fun fact. Ethan's name in Hebrew means firm. And that might be a subtle reference to the writer, Town, who wrote the movie The Firm. Yep. Which Tom Cruise was in. Which was, uh, I think, the year before this one, wasn't it? It was like 95, 94. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I, when you're looking for something in a minute where not much happens, you look up. <laughs> People's names and you ascribe things to them like, oh, he probably didn't just think the name Ethan sounded cool as maybe a spy name. No, no, I got that from an article. Okay. Well, well what's interesting is that Robert Towns also also a, a screenwriter who uh, who accredited a screenplay for Greystoke, uh, The Legend of Tarzan, to his dog. So yeah, he he puts a lot of extra hidden meaning into things. I don't know if it's useful useful meaning, but so he's putting all this effort into that, but he can't get something as basic as getting a plot for these guys to go through that makes a little bit more sense in terms of a plan. Well, I think I think I think he was brought on late late in the game too. I think it was too late. Yeah. Too late to Right now, Dawn, to be fair, this has passed the Bechtel test. It has. Yeah. There are three women. They have not talked about men yet. <laughs> I don't think that'll last, but <laughs> No, no, no. It just has to be. It's not in every scene. It's just the Bechtel test is such a minimal bar. I'm going to kind of go through the Bechtel test for the benefit of our listeners who may or may not actually have ever heard of it. The Bechtel test is, does this film, movie, whatever, have two women in it who are named who talk about something other than a man ever? Uh, A slightly easier, harder (laughs) test to pass is the sexy lamp test. Which is, can you replace your female character with a sexy lamp and have your plot not change at all? Surprisingly, a lot of movies do not even pass the sexy lamp test. We can replace Hannah Williams. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I was going to say. <laughs> and maybe even Claire at this point. And, and if you look at the shot of uh, Kristen Scott Thomas at the end, she's standing next to a lamp. No, that's her, that's her double. No, no, this one's actually her. Let's say put a CG face on her. The double, you know, which they no, might No, the lamp is her double. Oh, the lamp is her double. Gotcha. <laughs> Put the jacket on the lamp. We get to wrap on Kristen Scott Thomas. It won't cost us nearly as much. Nope. This lamp is a steal. <laughs> and now we've got Tom Cruise basically saying he wouldn't have it any other way for Mr. Phelps. This is the first time we actually get to see Tom Cruise portraying Ethan. And I don't really know where he's going yet. Hopefully the next minute will help shed some light on that. He already seems cocky, so we'll see what the next minute has. Yeah, the gum gives that away. Is there ever Mm -hmm. a character that Tom Cruise plays where he's not cocky? I feel like that really Uh, is his type, right? Boyish and cocky. Sure, that's that's his bread and butter. Yeah. Even though he's he's pushing 50 and he's still playing boyish and cocky. (laughs) Well, boyish and cocky is the way this minute's going to end this week. We'll (laughs) come back tomorrow for Minute 8. You can get us on Twitter at Men Impossible. You can also email us, minuteimpossible at gmail.com. Come over to our Facebook group, The Impossible Minute Force, and talk to us there. I've been Jonathan. 
I'm Don. I've been Chris. This message will self-destruct. <laughs> <laughs>